Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Daniel Gallo. Hey, Penn State fans, the Blue White Breakdown podcast, Penn Live's Penn State football podcast, is back for the middle edition of the first week in March. Daniel Gallon joining me, Bob Flounders. And Daniel, Penn State's basketball season is grinding to. Maybe a painful halt after what I saw what happened, I think, to that in that Nebraska game. I don't know how you feel about that, but we are getting very close, Daniel, to not only the combine, but the start of Penn State's spring drills. We got some dates announced this week. We will get into that before we talk a little bit about the combine. Dave Jones and I <laughs> talked about the combine yesterday, but I was going to take a little bit of a different approach with you because he is not as Dave is first one to admit that he's maybe combine season is not his favorite part of the college football season. So we addressed that and proceeded accordingly. He still had some interesting thoughts, but Daniel, you went from Penn state season to recruiting season, which is year round for you. Then you went straight into men's basketball season. It's been an up and down ride. I think for Penn state men's basketball uh, in the 2021-2022 season, when I didn't realize what that score was, I looked at the Nebraska score. I was like, whoa, don't think a lot of people saw that coming. So how are you? And real quick, just your thoughts on what's next for Penn State men's basketball and how how surprised were you by the fact that they kind of got it handed to them by a, a, a Cornhuskers team that just wasn't very good all year? Yeah, it was uh, Sunday night was one of the, the weirder results of the year. I mean, they lost by 23. They were down by 32. <laughs> Uh, in the second half, and it really wasn't as close as 23 points uh, as the final score. It was, uh, I don't know, it was unusual. I mean, they were just kind of beaten from the jump, which hasn't happened this year. Yeah. Like, they lost big to Indiana, I think, in the Indiana game. At yeah. Indiana, they were down by 29 at halftime. But that was more of a product of Indiana, just that was an anomaly. They were shooting the lights out. Yeah. It was the, the type of thing where you set up the offense so that, certain guys get shots that they're not supposed to make and then they make those shots and it's kind of like, well, where do you go from there? Yeah. Micah Shrewsbury was, was pretty honest after the game. He, he really wore it. Um, he said it was his fault. He didn't have them prepared. You know, it was an interesting turnaround where they go from Friday night, senior night, an emotional comeback win over Northwestern, turn around, have to play Sunday against uh, a Nebraska team that, Hadn't won on the road, had only one Big Ten win coming into the game. And I think that there was a little bit of a letdown there. Yeah. But Micah Shrewsbury talked yesterday, kind of reflecting on the loss. He said Brad Stevens texted him uh, first thing Monday morning. 
just kind of talked about his support season. So yeah. there's two games left at Illinois Thursday night Ooh. at Rutgers Sunday. Both Ooh. of those are going to be <laughs> both of those are going to be tough games, but yeah. those are also two pretty inconsistent opponents. So it'll be interesting to see how they uh, finish up. The big thing for them right now is they're in tenth place uh, in the Big Ten. They need to stay at tenth place to avoid that. You know, the Wednesday of the Big Ten tournament in Indy. Um, they're a game ahead of Northwestern and Maryland. Right. They have the tiebreak over Northwestern. Maryland has a tiebreak over Penn State uh, if it comes down to to a tie. Watching that Nebraska team play, I, with, with the talent that they had, I was kind of like, with Bryce McGowan's, I was like, you should be able to run into at least three Big Ten wins with, with someone like that on yeah. your team. But they got Ohio State last night, right. so we'll, we'll see what Indy has uh, has in store for us. Daniel, just one quick thought, just from somebody who has not uh, covered men, men's basketball for Penn State, but following the coverage, following your stories, talking a little bit with Dave Jones about it, it just seems like this year uh, Penn State was a team that, whether they were playing good teams or bad teams, they were built to live in a world uh, in the 50s or 60s as far as maybe a game score and maybe not the most dynamic offense in the Big Ten. But, you know, they also seem like they were, and I don't mean this as a, as, as a, a negative, but they were really, really good at grinding. They were really, really good at hanging in there. I know they scored a lot of points in some other games, but when all that stuff doesn't kind of go your way and you're away from home and you find yourself against a team that's just, you know, playing so well, can it, get, can it get away from a team like Penn State, even though they beat Iowa and even though they beat Michigan State and two really impressive victories? Is it easier for, for a team to kind of see a game get, get away from them when maybe they're really more comfortable uh, in a defensive-minded game, in a, in a game where, you know, you're going to try and first one to 50, first one to 55, first one to 62 wins? Or do you just think may, they might have hit like a physical and mental wall against a team that was tired of losing? They kind of let Nebraska dictate things from the jump, and I think that's where it got away from them. Um, Michael Shrewsbury kind of said as much afterwards. I mean, the tip-off was just a mess, and they commit a foul, you know, yeah. two seconds into the game, and then it was just kind of – and then they had a really bad turnover that led to a three-pointer, and it was just kind of – it was one of those things where absolutely everything that could go wrong went wrong, yeah. and they've been pretty fortunate that for a team that – it's a team that's talent deficient when you look at the Big Ten as a whole. I mean, I think that it's clear you look at Nebraska's roster and there's at least one player on Nebraska who would be the best player on Penn State okay. uh, in Bryce McGowan's. And so I think that they were really designed this year to limit the number of possessions, slow things down, force the other team to pretty much be perfect. Um, but when you do that, you also have to be perfect. And when you don't necessarily have talent to do it, that gets really hard too. Um, Micah Shrewsbury acknowledged that kind of like this isn't how he wants to play. Yeah. That he is adjusting to what he has. Um, he has a veteran group, which I think helps a lot. There's seven fourth or fifth year guys plus, uh, Sepandia Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of, you have some stability there, some composure. You know, it's the type of thing where when it gets away from you, when you play like this, it can really get away from you. They've, They've reeled teams back before. They did that to Michigan yep. State. They were down by 13, um, and they've done it in some other games. But it is kind of a thing where they don't necessarily have kind of the guy who can take over and make things happen when things aren't really going right. Um, Sam Sessoms and Jalen Pickett have mm-hmm. at times done that. Seth Lundy has had some some good games, but they don't really have that guy. 
on a nightly basis. So it was just kind of one of those things where I think that you have to give them a lot of credit yeah. for, I mean, it's honestly a surprise that this is really the first game that has been a wire to wire, everything gone wrong. Yeah. They've had some bad halves, some bad stretches, but I think that that's really a testament to, to Michael Shrewsbury. And I think it kind of shows the progress this program's made. Yeah. I mean, we talked about the wins that they've had over Michigan state and Iowa and I, they took Wisconsin, a good Wisconsin team, I think, to the wire. Did, I, against Purdue, did they hang tough? Yeah, they, they lost to Purdue by seven, yeah, I mean, Wisconsin by two. Yeah. Your point is is valid. I just think that sometimes sometimes you just don't have a lot of – you run out of bullets, um, I guess. And it's, it's – you know, you can't always expect if another team gets you down 11 or 12 that you're going to be able to have with, – with the roster construction you're talking about that you're always going to be able to answer. Because more often than not, they're probably – I mean, they're definitely not the most talented play- team on the floor, and it just—it's going to be real interesting. I think you're going to learn even a little bit more about how this team really, really feels about themselves against these in these next two games because those are two really tough games they have coming up. It sounds like to close out their regular season, and I, I have a sense though that seeing how they played all year, they will probably come back and and they will probably they will probably finish the season strong. Whether that's enough to beat either one of those teams. I don't know, but I don't think you're going to see a blowout again. No, and also, too, they beat Rutgers by 17 back yeah. in January. And that was before Rutgers kind of got hot and beat the, those four ranked teams uh, in a row. I mean, it's on the road at uh, the arena formerly known as the Rack, now Jer- Jersey Mike's Arena. Yikes. Which is a it's a tough place to play. Um, you've seen a lot of teams go in there and lose. But I think that we're going to see kind of a – a rebound performance against Illinois tomorrow night. Obviously, Kofi Coburn is mm-hmm. a tough task inside. I mean, John Hara is going to have his hands full. Getting Greg Lee back, the other forward, helps. But it's going to be tough. Everyone was kind of well aware of what they were getting into this year and, and how difficult uh, it would be with this team. But I think they're in a position to to really make things interesting. And mm-hmm. if they can avoid that first day of the Big Ten tournament, to kind of get an extra day of rest and kind of not have to play an extra game. I mean, they, they're a team that could be, that wouldn't be a surprise if they make it to Friday, yeah. give a team a scare that ends up playing on Saturday or Sunday. Yep. Uh, okay, Daniel, before we get to the combine, re, I mean, it's the combine that a lot of the combine stuff, uh, the interview stuff has, has already begun, but the first real testing day is Thursday. Penn State's Jahan Dotson is going to be in a wideout group that goes on Thursday, but before we get to that real quick, let's go through, we'll go over real quick some of the key dates that Penn State has announced um, for their spring for their spring season. Obviously, the combine is going to run through the weekend. We now know the date of Penn State's first day of practice. That's going to be Monday, or I shouldn't say the first day of practice. We're going to get a chance to talk to James Franklin on Monday, March 21st. I think that might be the first day of practice. Penn State's pro day will be March 24th up at State College. And that'll be interesting as well. And you and I will be in State College. Uh, they're, they're holding their uh, their annual end of uh, winter conditioning press conference with Chuck. It'll be Chuck Lowe's this year. It won't be Dwight. It won't be Dwight Galt. But we'll get to hear from him for about ten or fifteen minutes. We'll get to see some of the guys go through their paces. We'll get to see some of the young guys. Uh, of those three dates, is one I, I, I'm always excited about. The first time we get to talk to James, and if he says something interesting. But I'm also a little interested to hear. Because there's a big change at Penn State, uh, the new strength coach. Interested to see kind of what he has to say, who he talks about. Dwight was very, very uh, 
he was always happy to talk about 18 guys in five minutes. And I always thought that was pretty funny, but I'm, I'm just as excited to hear from the new strength coach. How about you? Yeah, I think there's something to, to watch on every single one of those days. Um, obviously in the past, Dwight Galt, he's been doing this forever. He kind of, you know, you knew what you were going to get from him and you kind of, you didn't really have to ask him that much about himself or, or what he was doing. And I think it'll be interesting because Obviously, we want to know, you know, who has really come along, who's been impressing in the weight room all winter. But I also think that we we need to get to know Chuck Losey. I mean, we need yeah. to know what he's doing differently, how he's tweaking things, kind of how he sees his vision, kind of, because he's he's worked with Dwight Galt for a long time. He goes back to Vanderbilt, but you know, it's it's his own thing. He has the chance to put his stamp on it and you kind of don't get these opportunities too often. So I'm really interested to hear from him there. Obviously, anytime we can talk to James uh, is a is a good opportunity. And I think that I'm interested to see kind of how he sets the tone for the spring, um, especially mm-hmm. after how last season ended and kind of what's ahead. Got asked some questions about the quarterbacks. Um, oh, yeah. Sure plenty of people are going to want to know. And then obviously pro day um, to kind of, you know, someone like Ellis Brooks, who's not at the combine. We get to see how, right. how he tests. We get to see if someone else who didn't go to the combine surprises us. And, you know, at home, the guys are a little bit more comfortable. You, you read about kind of what they have to go through at the combine and how it's not exactly the most optimal, uh, conditions for them to test mm-hmm. at their best. So, you know, maybe in Haluba Hall, it's a little bit different, uh, than at Lucas Oil Stadium. So I'm kind of interested to see, uh, you know, Seeing Brandon Smith test, um, yeah. that's something that's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, and but I was going to say you were on a conference call, at least one conference call with some uh, NFL draft analysts, and I, I, I saw some of the stories uh, that you were writing. What were the most intriguing answers to questions about Penn State kids in your mind? Because I know that you covered a bunch of kids, and I think I think the Penn State fan base knows that Jahan Dotson is going to be a, is going to be a you know if not a first round pick, he'll go very quickly in the second round, and you know he could run in the four threes. Um, he's not the biggest receiver; he's one of actually the smallest receivers that's that that's kind of mentioned in like the first in the top 50, 50 players. But the production has been there. But um, as far as like, I, I think he talked to, uh, I believe, was it Daniel Jeremiah and maybe some other guys that are really, really good at kind of breaking down film and assessing uh, players. What were wh- Who were the players and what were the comments that really, really kind of resonated with you when you talk about Penn State's uh, combine list that's at, that is at eight and it could have easily been at nine? Yeah, so I was on the call with Daniel yeah. Jeremiah from NFL Media last week, uh, former Eagles, Ravens scout, uh, a lot of really yeah. good insight. The four players that came up over the course of uh, of talking with him, um, he did bring up Dotson specifically when he was asked a question about the Patriots picking, I think they're at 23 or mm-hmm. 21. And he said mm-hmm. he compared Dotson to Chris Olave as kind of the in the back half of the first rounds. I think that based on what Jeremiah said, I think Dotson is probably going to go in that 20 to 35 range. He said Dotson has the best hands in the draft, and he says that he thinks Dotson will run in the four threes. I think up on the board uh, in the Penn State facility, Dotson's run a four three three. But the thing is, is that it's his size. Um, Dotson's 5'11", uh, 184. That's what he was listed at last year. That's the lightest yeah. of kind of that upper group of receivers. And yep. I think he's the shortest. I haven't my story. I forget. 
Um, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, he said he had a third round grade on Jesse Lucetta. That'll be interesting to see in terms of versatility. Um, he called Lucetta a true right. positionless player. Mostly you hear that in kind of the, the linebacker safety hybrid as opposed yep. to that defensive end linebacker hybrid. So that, that's kind of interesting to see. But I think the most interesting things that Daniel Jeremiah had to say were about Brandon Smith and Rashid Walker. And I asked him specifically about Brandon Smith um, because we've talked about it. He's going to test well. Five-star yeah. athlete. Um, and then it's kind of how do you reconcile that with some of the inconsistencies right. that we saw on the field last year. Um, and Jeremiah mm-hmm. said that he has heard that Brandon Smith is going to test off the charts. Uh, he's going to create some buzz, but there are some stuff on film that, that he doesn't really like that, that Brandon Smith will need to clean up. Um, and then unprompted, uh, Daniel Jeremiah brought up, uh, Rashid Walker, <laughs> uh, the left tackle. Uh, Rashid was, was hurt late last year, was on cr- crutches at the Outback Bowl. So, um, I forget what day he's scheduled to meet the media, uh, in Indy. So who knows if he'll work out or how much he'll do, but he'll at least get the chance to go through the, the interview process with the teams and, kind of, I think, maybe explain some of the things uh, that, that went wrong last year. But Jeremiah said that you look at the Michigan game, which was the last game that Rashid played, and he said that gives you the kind of the, the two extremes um, of where you had good reps against Aiden Hutchinson mm-hmm. and David Ojabo, uh, who are going to be first-round picks, mm-hmm. and then you had the really bad reps against yeah. those guys. So he said that Rashid is a boomer bust player, it'll be a really big situational fit for him. If he can land somewhere where he has a good offensive line coach. Yeah. Um, I mean, I spent three years around the Eagles and, and Jeff Stoutland just was a miracle worker um, in terms of just what he got out of these, a bunch of undrafted free yeah. agents um, and someone like Jordan Mailata, who'd never played the game before. Um, that was something that kind of came to mind where for Sheed Walker, I mean, we know he has the physical gifts, um, if he can end up with a coach who is like that, like Jeff Stoutland, um, that could be a huge boost for his career. So, you know, it's, it's up in the air, I think, given his physical status, what will happen, but he's someone that's going to be really interesting during the pre-draft process. And I think that for a lot of Penn State fans, um, who are more college football fans than NFL fans, yeah. when they hear his name, uh, in April, I think that a lot of people are going to be raising their eyebrows, but yeah. there's a lot of potential there that I think NFL teams like. Yeah, I was uh, combing through the uh, some of the stuff on NFL.com, and they have NFL.com has their own talent evaluator. He he did a right. He's got a write up on every Penn State player, and what he said about Rasheed Walker is a lot of what you said. Uh, coveted player, played well at times in his career. Uh, the thing that interested me the most is he felt like uh, Rasheed Walker's strengths were more against the run than against the past because he struggled against, you know, really athletic edge rushers. And there were some athletic edge rushers in the Big Ten. He said he, he, he wouldn't be surprised if he either moved to right tackle or even kicked inside the guard. And trying to imagine Rashid at guard, I mean, I, I guess anything is possible, but he was pretty adamant. And Lance Deerline's a pretty well-respected guy. Uh, he was pretty adamant that he would not be surprised if whoever drafted him uh, gave him a long look, maybe either at right tackle or even inside at guard. But man, when Rashid was healthy and he wanted to play, I thought he played pretty well. But there were some games. I'm not saying it was all his fault, but that Michigan game right away, they just Michigan's front four just took over that game, and the, both those tackles just I thought 
were just in over their heads. So that's he's going to be a polarizing player. But Brandon Smith, to me, is going to be the most polarizing player for Penn State. And I think he might be the most polarizing player at the Combine if he tests as well as people think he's going to test because he is as big as Micah Parsons, I think. And he's going to be, I mean, damn near as fast. I mean, you could see his straight line speed in games um, where he could run down some plays maybe that he missed. But at, at that size, if you can if you can run low four five or you crack the four fours at two hundred and forty five pounds, man, I was telling Dave, you know, all thirty two teams don't have to love Brandon Smith. It just takes one or two just to look at that guy and say, well, wait, we can we can fix maybe some of those issues, and I think he can really help his draft position. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. I want to go over two players with you, though, for the combine that I think are very interesting. Arnold Ebiketti, I think we know how good of a player he is, but one of them is Tariq Castro-Fields because he did go to the Senior Bowl. To me, he was a guy that – he was a hard guy for me to kind of get a read on at Penn State for a couple of reasons. And the other person, uh, player, is Jaquan Brisker because I think – I'm just curious how much the time off – like his, I guess his last game was the Michigan State game. I don't think he went to the Senior Bowl – so I'm curious how much that time off has helped that upper body injury because it was clearly an issue. It clearly impacted him. Daniel, I'm just curious what he will be able to do testing-wise at the Combine and how he'll interview and how much teams are going to want to ask him because he was a warrior. He played through a very painful injury. It was very clear from the beginning of the season. But I'm just wondering if that, if that injury is fixed and, it's, and you know teams feel like it will not recur. How much is that going to help him? Because he was at the very top, I think, of Bruce Feldman's freaks list, I think, prior to last year as well. And I just think that as much as Brandon uh, Smith could test, I think Brisker might be right there with him, test well. Yeah, I think Brisker is someone who was really, he's kind of at Penn State, he was kind of known more for the intangibles yeah. and his his playmaking on the field, as opposed to someone like Brandon Smith, who was kind of the the testing guy, that, yeah. the, the physical tools. Um, so. I think that this will be a kind of a, a cool opportunity. If Brisker is healthy enough to test, I think it'll be a, a cool opportunity for him to kind of showcase the, the athleticism that you can pair with some of the instincts and the, the intangible things that kind of made him um, the glue on the back end. But I think he's, he's supposed to test on Sunday. Um, he'll do media interviews Saturday then. So we should have a, a good idea, but I think Brisker has a, a good opportunity to kind of maybe work his way into the back end of the first round. I know that he was kind of a, it's been kind of back and forth where there's kind of those players every year where I feel like uh, I always remember this, the, the Deshaun Jackson year where every single mock draft had the Eagles picking Deshaun Jackson at like, I think it was like number 19 or something. They had him as his first round pick. Then they get him in the second round. Mm-hmm. And I think I've seen that a couple of times with Brisker and your Cowboys where He's kind of the, the trendy, like, first round pick for the Cowboys at, at the back end of that round. And yeah. then, but then you look at other mock drafts and they have them getting to the end of the second round. So 
a lot of it has to do with how teams value safety too, which is kind of an interesting uh, circle to square there, um, depending on the system, um, what what teams want. I mean, the Rams just won the Super Bowl with seventh round pick Nick Scott and Eric Weddle, who was retired. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so it, it's an interesting position to kind of uh, evaluate. Right. But Brisker is someone where you've only heard good things about him. I think the play will match up with the testing numbers and, and the interview things. So I think that he should, I think, work his way up to the top of day two. And Tariq Castro Fields, yeah. complete wild card. Yes. Um, Maryland guy, Daniel, from your, from your, you know. R- Riverdale Baptist. I was, I was there, uh, in February 1st, 2017 when he announced his commitment, uh, to the Nittany Lions. I really do, do not have a read on him. There's an NFL.com mock draft that had him as a second round pick, which I was very surprised, um, to see that. But I think that Castro Fields could, definitely work his way up into that fourth round sure. spot. I mean, he plays a premium position. The physical tools are there. Mm-hmm. He has the size that, that teams want. He's long. He has some good things on tape, but I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like the the production wasn't necessarily there. The health stuff is a question given how that was kind of, you know, I mean, Penn State, the way that they handled it, really keeping things kind of under wraps and, so you don't necessarily know maybe what he was playing through. I mean, he didn't play um, in the Outback Bowl. So I really don't have a read for him. And I guess this is kind of what, what the combine is for. We're going to see where he stacks up in the different percentiles for, for his testing and his measurements. And we'll be able to kind of mm. slot that in. And he was a good media interview. So yeah. I assume that he'll be able to interview well with, with the teams in the room. But I really have no idea. Like kind of like you said, it only takes one team right uh, to fall in love with them. I was on a conference call with Mel Kuyper where M- Mel Kuyper misspoke um, when asked about draft eligible Litany Lions last year and brought up uh, Tariq and said that he saw him as a fourth round pick. Yeah. Um, and then Mel Kuyper called me right after Uh-oh. Uh, to, to to be like, "Oh, sorry, sorry, I missed." Oh, I was like, "I was like, I, I got you." Like, I love. Mel. I was like, I'll, I love Mel. I'll, I'll, I'll file that away for next year. Uh, another Maryland guy. Sure. Um, Definitely. You can tell it every time he talks. <laughs> Tariq has, has some work to do, but he'll be one where it'll be yeah. uh, a bit of a surprise where he goes. To your point, Daniel, I think talent-wise, just in a vacuum, if you, if you said second-round pick, I would agree with you. My two questions for Tariq, uh, having seen him play, uh, durability, physicality. Um, I don't think there's any question he can cover. But in the NFL, you got to be able to get somebody to the ground. I mean, there's it's it's a it's a game where they're going to spread you out, and and you're not always going to be able to knock the ball down. And if you get beat, you got to be recovered. You got to make be able to make a tackle against you know some just phenomenal freak athletes. And you can learn a lot about a corner uh, at the combine, but they don't test for willingness to to get get a guy to the ground. And I think that's gonna. I think on tape that might be the one thing. If I was a scout or if I was a you know, general manager, I, I want to ask him about, you know, what happened on what happened on this play. And also, you know, where were you for the last six games of 2020? Not so much, you know, he wants to opt out of the Outback Bowl. That's an, that's an entirely different story, even though he was on the field for some reason. But I think that he is, as in terms of a coverage player, a guy that's six foot, you know, almost 200 pounds, there is no question he can do a lot of good things. But is it enough just to be able to shadow 
a receiver, what happens when he catches the ball? He's going to get drafted, and I'm sure some teams are going to have a higher opinion of Tariq than others. But those are just the two things that I, I don't know how you're going to – you're going to have to trust the tape. You're not going to be able to really see – learn any insights, I think, at the Combine. But to your point, I think it's always a good gamble on a physical talent like Tariq Castro-Fields because he is an NFL corner. There's no question he's got NFL size. But I just don't know if, what we're going to see from him. There are times I thought he played really well at Penn State, and there were times that I just thought he he, he didn't. You know, really – as we close up this edition of the Blue White Breakdown podcast, Daniel, Brandon Smith, Rashid Walker, Tariq Castro-Fields, there's a couple common denominators, I think, with all three of those in terms of physical specimens who've looked very good at times at Penn State and it, and, and in good in big games for Penn State. But there's also the other side of it and the inconsistency. The more erratic the number, the data is, the, the least likely you're ready to pull the trigger early on a kid like that. So we'll see about the testing, they're going to have to test extremely well. And I think Brandon might, but man, it's going to make for a fascinating draft. I really do, because there are going to be some players that, that that dip in this draft, and it might be some Penn State guys, and there are going to be some guys that go way earlier. I remember when Troy Apke got got drafted a couple <laughs> years ago by the Redskins, and he had, he had run, he ran like 4-3 at the Combine, and Troy was a, a quality player at Penn State, but he was, I think he went in the fourth round or the third round, and I was like, what? And, uh, you know, I think he went before Marcus Allen, actually. Uh, but I, I just I just that's the that's the beauty of the draft. It's in the eye of the beholder. And there's a there's a lot at stake. And and like you said, sometimes you can find some really good players in the sixth and seventh round. And sometimes you can reach on the players in the second and third round. And if you're if you reach too many times, your team's just going to it's not going to do well. So I'm real curious to see where all these guys land. Ellis Brooks could, could, could get drafted as well. So you could talk about nine Penn State players getting drafted, Daniel, is wild on a, for a team that finished seven and six. But that could be where we're headed. I'm excited to see how the combine plays out. I know you are as well. It gets really gets underway on Thursday. You got some basketball to cover. So and Daniel will be back with uh, Dustin Hockensmith a little bit later this week with another installment of the Blue White Breakdown. Next week, it's just going to be all about what we think about the combine, what was said about Penn State players, who ran well, who, you know, who looks like you, they might not go quite as high. But I just – I try to remember the last time Penn State's had eight players at the combine. I think it's been a while. So something that for a Penn State fan to kind of look at every day this week, especially since there's no baseball, who knows when it's going to start. It's a sore, it's a sore spot for a lot of people, fans, some writers I know, and I don't blame them. But this is a football podcast, so we're going to leave the baseball talk to someone else. How's that, Daniel? Sounds great to me, Bob. All right. We'll be back to talk to you guys next week. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Live.